this week on The Friday Fix. The genie's out the bottle. It's You can't put it back in. And these tools are extraordinary. You know, I think we mustn't allow the discourse to become so dominated by the threat and by the fear and by the peril that we don't give ourselves, give society the ability to use these tools for good. Welcome back to The Friday Fix. I'm Ellie Williamson, head of TMT and a partner at Powers Court. Today, we're talking to our client, Carolyn Esser, Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Darktrace, about its proprietary AI for cybersecurity and how we can all benefit from integrating AI into our businesses. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for being with us today. So there's been a lot of talk recently about AI, driven by the incredible impact ChatGPT has had on general awareness. Darktrace has been involved in selling AI-based cyber products for almost 10 years now. So could you start by telling us a bit about what Darktrace does? Darktrace was conceived uh, all those years ago, acknowledging and recognising that the world of security was going to shift eventually into one where it was machine versus machine. We've been developing for the last 10 years a series of AI products that are specifically being applied to the problem of cybersecurity. You know, not all AI is created equal. And so how we've developed our AI is really quite unique and different. So what types of AI are there? So, I mean, I can talk about it through the lens of the cybersecurity world, and we effectively cluster it around three fundamental types of AI. So the first, which is where most of our peer group, most vendors sit, is supervised learning, a static model that's trained on huge amounts of historical data, things that have happened in the past, pulled in from the AI that's looking at the perimeter, looking at what's going out in the outside world, and that performs really well at identifying known threats. So something's happened before, you've spotted it, and now you can protect your entire fleet against that known attack, that thing that happened before. The problem with that form of AI is it can't detect the unknowns, you know, the known unknowns. There's always going to be stuff that doesn't happen. That's where our form of AI comes in, which is very, I think, little understood, this notion of self-learning AI. So in effect, the algorithms that are built into our AI are kind of a blank. You put them into your IT environment and they learn off the basis of that particular institute or organization that they're seeking to protect. The behavior patterns of the people who work there, the way in which data is transferred between different bits of the organization, it learns those unique patterns and it helps to identify threats as anomaly-based detection. So once the bad guys get in, because they always get in, um, our technology helps you to detect it, helps you to respond to it. Um, and ultimately, the next product set we're working on is helps you to heal in the event that it does break through how do you remediate all those systems? Fascinating. And interesting that you say you're predicting a machine versus machine future, that there's a lot of debate about how AI will transform business. I think you can shed light on how AI can transform cyber attacks, which is a much murkier world. Could you tell us a bit about that? Is it machine versus machine already or not yet? Well, it's beginning to get there, absolutely. And, you know, I think from our perspective, what's been very interesting to see over the last few months since the launch of these generative AI products is that the world of cybersecurity we can see is being impacted. What we saw in the first two months of this year as these big LLMs came into the public consciousness and obviously lots of people were using them, 
largest adoption of a technology in human history. We've seen a 135% increase in social engineering attacks across our customer base. We've got about 8,500 customers all over the world. And those attacks are showing a growing linguistic sophistication in the way in which phishing emails are targeted against people in institutions that the bad guys are trying to breach. Now, we can't say definitively that's because of generative AI, but what we are inferring from that is that the bad guys have got a new toolkit. (laughs) They've got some new tools to play with, uh, and all of a sudden they can create much more personalized, much better written, much more convincing phishing emails that have a much higher chance of success, but also can be distributed at scale because you have the tools to be able to launch these into all sorts of environments in these quite bespoke ways. And our argument would be, in a world where it's going to be very difficult for the human to spot what's bad and what's not bad, and, you know, we've all been on those courses that try and teach us, you know, what to do with the phishing email. (laughs) In that world, it's unfair to put the onus on the human. It's unfair to expect the, the human to do that. And what we want to do, we want to be an enabler of organizations. We want to take the tough stuff, the threat bit of the cyber component out so that people can do their business safely in the knowledge that whatever happens, the AI is sufficiently clever and trained that it will stop that from becoming a problem for the business. Given your authority in AI and your insight into how it can be used by bad actors to threaten cybersecurity, what's your position on AI? In the final analysis, is it a friend or foe to humanity? Even in just the first five months of this year, if you think about how the debate has shifted, it started with all this sort of wonderment around the promise of generative AI, the fact that this was going to increase productivity, going to improve levels of automation, how it was going to sort of spurn a whole new innovation cycle shifted more recently into public discourse weighing up all the perils and you've seen some very big names come out around what those perils are. I mean I think our view is that the genie's out the bottle. It's you can't put it back in. And these tools are extraordinary. You know, I think we mustn't allow the discourse to become so dominated by the threat and by the fear and by the peril that we don't give ourselves, give society the ability to use these tools for good. And we, you know, we in our world are using these tools for good all of the time. You know, fundamentally, we're trying to free the world from cyber disruption. We're trying to keep our customers safe. We're trying to make sure that the bad guys don't win. And in a world where the bad guys have access to these tools too, we have to allow that innovation to continue. So we're staying ahead of that. And, you know, fundamentally, we're using these tools to to enhance society. Do you think it's possible for us to reach a position where people can trust AI? I think this is one of the most fundamental aspects when it comes down to the adoption of AI at scale. You know, we've learned a lot of lessons along the way in terms of how you build trust between man and machine. And we are very much of the view that These are tools that allow the human to be augmented. If you think about industries where there are sort of skilled labor shortages, cybersecurity is pretty high on the list of those industries. We see security teams under immense pressure, short-staffed. Every business is a technology business. If you think about the breadth and the depth of that IT estate and trying to keep all of that safe, it's enormous. And so we've spent a lot of energy, actually, over the years that we've been innovating these products, 
thinking very specifically about the trust component. So for example, when we first launched our Respond product, where you could in effect have handed all of the response to a cybersecurity threat over to the machine. And the machine was pretty good at identifying what needed to happen and taking action to make it stop stop it from happening. We learned that actually the security teams were not comfortable handing all of that over to the machine. They wanted something that we ended up calling human confirmation mode, where the machine would do the report, the machine would be very, very clear and specific about what action needed to be taken. But ultimately, you still gave the human the chance to verify and validate and you know, effectively push the button because they needed to build that trust relationship with, with the AI. There's an element of mystery, isn't there? You started by describing what you do as involving a black box mm-hmm. and it's hard to trust a mystery. Yes. So you're you're helping people understand part of the process. Yes. And look, you know, fundamentally, the AI is, is just a set of algorithms. It's maths. It's extremely clever maths. It's maths that's been built to learn and learn by itself. And it's maths that has been taught how to ingest vast amounts of data and make sense out of that data for the human to then be able to figure out what needs to happen. The trust component is is vast, but it's difficult because you can't show it to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can show the, you know, of course we have, you know, we have a user interface and porting all of those wonderful things that are spun out of the product set, but it is software and, and software can't be seen and so it makes that trust building component even more complex in a world where people at a sort of consumer level are thinking about ai through the lens of generative ai and large language models they've essentially ingested all of the internet and they're playing that back through whatever command it is that you give to them we all know that there's a lot of misinformation there's a lot of inaccuracies on the internet so Whilst it can communicate with great conviction because it's learned language processing, it's not necessarily true. And this is where, you know, I think it starts to undermine trust in what's coming back out of the machine. So we're sort of we're shadow boxing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do you have a final thought or advice for our listeners about their businesses and AI? I think fundamentally we're of the view there is no such thing as bad AI. There's only AI applied badly. And so I think the notion here is... What is the business problem you're trying to solve and how can you use whatever the right form of AI is to help you solve that business problem faster, more efficiently, in a way that doesn't impact or impinge onto your workforce? So I guess the first thing I would say is that, you know, it's about the application. It really is about working out what business problem you want to solve. I think the second component is don't be a Luddite. You know, this is this amazing, these sets of remarkable tools that at the end of the day are embedded across all of our lives. If you think about Alexa or Google Contrast, like we've been living with AI in various forms for a very, very long time and they're already doing wonderful things to, um, to improve society. So have a play, go and have a look at it, see what it can do for your business. Don't be frightened about it. Do be thoughtful, though, about how you engage with them. For example, intellectual property is a major issue. You know, don't put your secret sauce recipe into ChatGPT hoping you're going to get a better version of it because it's, your, you know, you're essentially handing it over into the world. So be thoughtful about the guardrails, be thoughtful about the policies that you want to take into account as you utilize these tools. Give guidance to your people because they'll need guidance as they try and engage with these tools. 
but use them for what they're intended to do and see what innovation it can bring to your organisation. Thank you so much for your time, Carolyn. I'm sure our listeners will find that really interesting. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.